What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Now, hey, if you do not have a Bible, go ahead and, and lift your hand. We'll bring a Bible around. I know they announced that in the video, but some of you were just like, what the, what, what is this video thing? Um, so if you need a Bible, just lift your hand. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Song of Songs, chapter 8. Song of Songs, chapter 8. Now, I was looking at my, my notes, and um, man, I just want to, those of you who have been with us through the whole book of Song of Songs, we're in chapter 8 now, I just want to encourage you. That's been a long time, man. And I was looking at the, the, the pages document, I've got 160 pages of notes, and some of you have sat through it all. Kudos to you. And so here we are in the culmination of this story. This is a relationship of this bride who was immature in chapter 1, but she's grown in love with Jesus. And now we're seeing her in chapter 8, and she is completely mature. Listen, this is what happened in Dave's story, where He just stayed in an area of immaturity because of the things in his life. And listen, most of us have done that. Oh, God, I got to give this up. Oh, God, I can't do this anymore. Oh, God, I can't. I, I, I have to quit this. That's all our story. Because the enemy is so deceived that we think the cost of Discipleship is just way too high. But when we have those things that grip us of what we can't do, it exposes the reality of the one whose name is Jesus that we do not know. Again, when I'm more focused on what I'm going to lose instead of what I gain in Christ, it shows that I truly don't know him. Because if I knew him, my life would look like chapter 8. So let's look at the bride and let's see what she has become. Verse one, oh, that you are like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. She is desiring an affection, a closeness from birth. When my kids were little, they had these private jokes that they would giggle and laugh about. I didn't know what they were talking about. And some of you that have kids, you, you see that going on. What's so funny, guys? Oh, nothing, Mom. Nothing, Dad. They've got this intimacy, this, these games that they play. Sure, they irritate one another once in a while. But the private world of jokes and toilet humor, <laughs> it's something to behold. And what she is saying, oh, I wish I grew up with you. See, some of us, you know, if you're like me, I, oh, man, I, just, I wish I didn't hear about Jesus till I was about 25. That way I could do whatever I want. I used to say that in high school. You know why? Because I didn't know him. What she's saying, I wish... I wish 
I knew him longer. And those of us who have matured in Christ, we have that same cry. Oh, if I could have just followed Christ from birth, wow, what wounds would be absent in my life. And oh, the wounding that I've done to others. I wish I could go back. And this is what she's, she's saying, I, 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 I wish, I wish. And then it says, if I found you outside, I would kiss you. And some of you are like, ooh, that's a little weird, bro. I want you to understand when you were engaged back then, you still couldn't hold hands in public. But if that was your brother, you give him a peck on the cheek and no one would despise She's wanting closeness, and she's also wanting some PDA. Say PDA. <laughs> Fellas, listen up. God has made your woman in such a way where when you walk into a restaurant, you walk into a room, give her that PDA. Hold her hand. Honor her. That PDA. Some of you are like, what is that? Public display of affection. Now, don't do it like those drunk people at hotels in the pool, right? You see them all. You know, and that's not what we're talking about. But classy, honorable, public display of affection, right? Not those people, hey, bro, go get a room. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this is my bride. This is my bride. And some of us guys, you know, we're like, ugh. Listen, stop it. Hold her. Hold her. Cherish her. Honor her. And so she's wanting that public display of affection. My wife reminds me that she read a book one time is that women need 12 non-sexual touches. So number one, I don't know how to do that. And so sometimes I'll walk up to her in the morning, and I'll be like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, huh? Anyway. And so she's crying out for this affection with her beloved. Let's go to verse two. It says, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. Sometimes family can be the hardest. Can I get a witness? Oh, my daughter, I don't know. She's becoming a Jesus freak. She's becoming all religious. And we don't want to bring Jesus home to our family. Why is that? Part of the reason is they know you. They've seen you. And a prophet is without honor in his own home. And so she's like, I, 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 I'm so proud of my beloved. I'm more than happy to introduce him to my family. When I brought my wife to my parents, there was not this, oh, man, I hope she doesn't say something stupid or I hope, you know, they don't find out this or I hope. No, no, no. Now, some girls back in the day, I wouldn't even bring home. But my bride, my wife, 
Philippians 4, 1, Paul says this, and, 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 and understand, it's not Paul, it's the Holy Spirit, because all scriptures God breathed. It says this, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, that you are the joy and the crown of God. God is proud of you. He loves you. But this bride, she says, he is my crown. He is my joy. My sweet little baby. What's that song? Some of you old school people. I can't remember it either, so never mind. I'm just going to move on. She's my pride and joy. Anyway, I don't know what it is. Then it says this. <laughs> I would give you spice wine to drink. The juice of my pomegranate. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back to 7, verse 12. And some of you are like, Chris, we were going forward here. This was amazing. And now we're going backwards again. So Song of Solomon 7, 12, look at what it says. It's, it says, there I will give you my love at the end. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance. And besides the doors are choice fruits as well as new, as, uh, as well as old, which I've laid up for you, oh, my beloved. And so, again, mandrakes, those were, 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 were uh, kind of love-making things that were aphrodisiacs, if you will. Choice fruits, spice wine. Spice wine was very expensive. It was more expensive and more enjoyable. And so back to 8, chapter 8, verse 2, I will give you spice wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. And so she is saying in these five verses, I want to give you my best. It's not an afterthought. I've laid it up for you. I want to give you my best. She is in love. And so, Christian, are you giving your best to the Lord? When you're mature in Christ, like this bride, how can I give my best? In these past five verses that we've read from seven, chapter 7, verse 12 to 8-2, it is all about her giving, giving, giving. Giving my best. See, that's the heart of someone mature. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus is telling his disciples. He's like, in the same way, let your light so shine upon before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do I want to give my best to the Lord in order to bring him the most glory? That's another way mature people think. Is this going to bring God the most glory? And so she has a posture where she is a giver and not a taker. And again, I've alluded to this already, but those that are immature, oh man, I have to obey. Oh, man, I have to serve. Oh, do I have to give that up? See, it's a have to. When it's a have to, it exposes the condition of your heart that you're not in love. True devotion, true devotion 
is an opportunity to give. What can I give? How can I give the best? How can I give so, so that he is glorified? And this is why 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, that God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Am I cheerful when I give? Or is this just a burden to me? If it's a burden, you're not in love. You're not in love. And so God is calling us in to maturity. Verse 3, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. She, Jeremy, put that up. She is convinced of this reality. She is overwhelmed with this reality. Let's go back to Song of Songs 2.6 here and understand it's the same verse. It's the same passage that's listed twice. It's not just a verse she read in chapter 2, but it's a verse she lives now in chapter 8, verse 3. Why? Because she understands she's in his arms she understands the two have become one. She understands that what we talked about last week, take your yoke upon me, right? Your yoke is easy. Uh, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me if you're heavy and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to be yoked in you, yoked with you. And she's walking this out with him overwhelmed and secure in his arms. We will do everything together. This is why in chapter 7, let us go here. Let us go into the vineyards. Let us go into the fields. Her whole life, public and private, it's bound up in Christ. No matter where she is, there I will give you my love. Because I'm in love, I'm walking in you. Because I'm in love, I'm going to be a giver and not a taker. I'm just satisfied in you. I'm abiding in you. You are with me. I want you to turn to Ephesians 6.12 real quick. And many of you know this. And I just, I just want to challenge us as a church. Some of you are like so consumed with spiritual warfare to the place where it's becoming unhealthy. It's like Christians afraid to go outside on Halloween. What the heck? We are not here <laughs> like our God owns it all. Do you realize who you're walking with? And so the reality of Ephesians 6.12, it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Put Song of Songs 8.3 there, please. Put it in your Bible so you can remember. Why is that there? Oh, that's why. Because there's two realities. Number one, you're wrestling with flesh and blood right now. The enemy's touching you right now. But I want you to understand, Song of Songs 8.3 is over that. Song of Songs 8.3 is over that, Christian. That is a greater reality. Yeah, you're wrestling right now against the enemy, but don't you ever forget for a minute the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It is within you, and if he is for you, who or what can be against you? We don't want to go the way of Jude, which speaks down to angelic beings. We don't want to do that. We do have some, 
some respect, if you will, or understanding of the spiritual war that's going on. But the greater reality is the one that loved me and gave his life for me, he is bound to me and he will never leave me or forsake me. And he is with me always, even to the end of the age. And that is a greater fact than what the enemy's doing in my life. Rick Merrill taught me this. When you're getting attacked by the enemy, you just acknowledge that he's here, but you're like that bullfighter. And you just say, okay, okay, right through here, right into Christ. Right into Christ. Right into Christ. Enemy comes, right into Christ. Enemy comes, right into Christ. This is my reality. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you burn this into us? Would you burn this reality into us? God is greater. God is greater. God is greater. He owns the world and everything in it. The devil cannot possess anyone. Why? Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. The enemy doesn't own a thing. He's a liar and he's a deceiver. His head or authority has been crushed, and Christ is holding you. And nothing, 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 Jesus said, nothing can snatch you out of my hands. Let's go back to Song of Songs, verse 4. See, we had to war a little bit, but let's get back in love. I adjure you. Song of Songs 8.4, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And so the daughters of Jerusalem, if we remember, these represent those in the church, but they're immature. They're not mature, they're immature. And they're, they're, they're always trying to do things to the bride that gets her off of what she needs to be doing. The daughters of Jerusalem try to get the bride to go work, pour yourself out. But it's in a way of guilt. It's in a way of shame. It's in a condemning way. And it causes the bride to be awakened to something the wrong time and so God is calling his bride to just come and rest in the arms in his arms but yet the daughters of Jerusalem they're wanting to come in and get her to go to work and he's like no she's good here she's good here and that's why he's speaking to them I adjure you O daughters of Jerusalem don't be awakening my bride right now and so we as a church and pastors I've been guilty of this be very careful because there are certain people there in certain seasons where they shouldn't be serving because they're not yet convinced of the love of God. And the, and, the, and, the, and the outflow of a life like that, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. When someone's not convinced of the love of God and they start working for God, 
and doing things for God and walking in their gifts and, oh, I'm a prophet or, oh, I'm an apostle and, oh, I got the gift of this and, oh, I got the gift of that. And they just go do because they want to do because they want to do and their, their performance kicks in and they're, and this is, this is what's going on. If I speak, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic fat powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith, even to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Wow. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So this is a, a loving warning for all of us, including myself. Things can look real good on the surface. Oh, that guy can preach. Oh, this guy, he's the prophet of prophets. He's never been wrong on a prophecy. The fruit, the fruit that Jesus is looking for is this. You will know that they're my disciples by the way that they love one another. How much have we seen people do great things for God? And it looks amazing. And, and even people getting healed. But are we truly walking in the agape love God? Well, you can't give what you don't have. Gifts are easy, by the way, because they're gifts. God may heal through you despite you. Because he speaks through donkeys in the Old Testament. So don't, don't get too prideful. I don't want to give the King James word on donkey. And so he does things because he loves people. But if our, our heart motive is not love, guys, then we're missing it. This is all about a relationship. And don't ever forget the greatest command is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to be a person. I want to do things in the love of God. And I hope and I pray that that's the cry of our heart here at this church, that we wouldn't be known for amazing doctrine or, or, or serving or this or this or that. That we would be a people that would be known that we love deeply and richly. That there's people here that literally will lay down their lives for one another. Why? Because they've received that from Christ and now can do that because they're convinced that God loves them no matter what. And so they're free to move. They're free to move because they're in love. Let's go to verse five, please. To me, this is the most important verse in this chapter, um, from the standpoint of this is how Christians should live. This is how Christians should walk. Who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Song of Songs 8.5. This is so important. I'm creating uh, 
a three-part series I'm going to do called Leaning on Our Beloved. Abiding in Christ is maturity. We know with the book of John, Jesus says, come and see. Then he says, follow me. Then he says, come and be with me. And then we get to chapter 15, and he says, abide in me. Now, here's the reality and the good news. John 15, 4 says, abide in me and I in you. The good news and the great news is that he's abiding in you, even though you forget to abide in him. Please don't ever forget that, because I beat myself up for years. Oh, if I could just abide, if I could just wait a minute, you're abiding in me. Just because I fall asleep in a house and I forget I'm in the house, it doesn't mean I'm not in the house. We are Christ's house now. He is in us. He is with us. And so we're always abiding of it. The issue is, the biggest issue in Christians' lives is they're not conscious of that reality. So they move out of their emotions. They move out of their own flesh. We, we, let me not say they, we. We move, we move. Responding to circumstances and issues rather than, here's the circumstance, Christ, you're with me. How can I respond? And how do you want me to respond? Because I'm not following myself anymore. I want to follow you. And here's why we don't do that. It's a little word. It's called pride. We really don't believe that we need to live like that. Song of Songs 8.5 is a, a lifestyle that has taken eight chapters. Okay? 160 pages. For her to get to a place She's just living, leaning on her beloved. That's, that's, that's her lifestyle. Uh, Jeremy, go ahead and put up this photo for me. Um, thank you, Amy, for, for sending this to Colleen. Um, yesterday, 5K. And by the way, thank you, church. We, we won, by the way. We won the Chick-fil-A. So everybody who signed up, we're going to have a free party. Those of you who didn't sign up, you're not welcome. And um, I'm kidding. But here's Zara, and she's in children's church, so I'm not, I'm not throwing her under the bus. But at the beginning of the race, my daughter was like, hey, Zara, you sure you can do this? Oh, yeah, I can do it. Zara went off sprinting. Mile one, mile two, right? Mile three. Okay, Riley, can you carry me? Can you carry me? What is that? That's what's happening in our life, Christian. Now, Jeremy, take that picture down. Riley told me very specifically, Dad, five to ten seconds. Sorry, Riley. <laughs> so we'll put this back up. See, kids know to be like that. Kids know to be like that, but us adults, we got to kind of get burned out, so we walk leaning on the beloved. And what's the root of that? Pride, oh, I can do this 5K. I want you to go back, and I want you to see this. It's 
Let's go back to Song of Songs 3, verse 6. And so what Jesus is doing today and what he's wanting to do with us is that we have to learn to lean in the beloved. Song of Songs 3.6, and keep in mind, uh, 8.5, it says, Who is coming up from the wilderness leaning on the beloved? Before we get into leaning on the beloved, we have to realize who's coming up from the wilderness. So look at 3.6. What is coming up from the wilderness? Hello, you could put 8.5 right there. This is talking about Christ. From the wilderness, like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense. What was given to Jesus at his birth? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so this represents our king. Smoke coming up from the wilderness. And it's not just mustering through the wilderness. It's not just kind of... of kind of uh, being, being weak and worn down in the wilderness. No, it's coming up out of the wilderness. Behold, it's the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 men, some with mighty men of Israel. And so there is strength, there is power, there is security when he's coming up out of the wilderness. All of them wearing swords, experts in war, each with a sword on his thigh against the terror by night. Don't forget who you're with and who's with you. Verse 9, King Solomon made himself a carriage. And that's what little Zara got on, by the way. Riley was the carriage. This is what Christ wants us to do, get in the carriage. He made its post silver and its back of gold, its seat purple. Its interior was laid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. God was so glad to marry you at the cross. There was joy. There was joy that he endured the cross because he wanted to marry you. He is in love. So coming up out of the wilderness, it speaks of victory in the midst of testing, temptations, difficulties, because all of a sudden she's learning how to lean on the beloved. But understand, church, some of you are in a wilderness season. It's not a woe is me season. It's not a Job season. It's a season in the wilderness that if you stand in Christ and you lean on the beloved, you're going to come out of the wilderness because Christ is always bringing us to victory. Always. The children of Israel were in Egypt 40 years getting fed Manna from heaven, quail, birds just kind of coming down, and God brought them through the wilderness. Why? He was getting Egypt out of them so that they could take the land. You're always going to come up out of the wilderness. It's who we are in Christ as we walk with a union with God. And anybody can quit in the wilderness except a person that's in love. those trials come, and those temptations, those struggles, they come. If you're not in love, you might quit in the wilderness. And when you feel like quitting, just say, Jesus, I lean on you. I lean on you. Would you teach me to lean into you through this wilderness so that I can come up out of it? Because he's always bringing us up and out 
of the wilderness. The wilderness can purify us. The wilderness can expose our heart. The wilderness can shake us to our very core. But ultimately, if you belong to Christ, you're going to come out of it. And you're going to come out of it with him. As he is our victory. She has learned to live in union with God here. Go back to Song of Songs 8.5. She is a a bride that voluntarily remains in in a weak state, in a helpless state, as she wants to feel the power of the Holy Spirit on her life. She understands she's not capable of finding her own paths out of the wilderness. In fact, she says, I will not lean on my own understanding. I'm leaning on Christ and Christ alone. She's also learned to lean for salvation, trusting not in her good works, but trusting in what Christ did on the cross and not her own deeds. She's also learned to lean into her beloved for victory because she's not relying on her own strength and power. She's relying on the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit becomes the source of her power. This is why Paul, he pins in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God speaking to him, hey, Paul, listen, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Some of us are way too strong, way too self-sufficient, way too independent because it's pride. And we haven't learned to lean. And I'm thankful that God brought me to the end of myself where I ruined my life completely. And I'm fully convinced I cannot do life apart from God. And some of us are not convinced yet. Just simply say, God, would you convince me? And oh, have fun in the wilderness. But guess what? Quickly lean on him, and you'll come out victorious. This is why entrance to the kingdom, Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Prideful people can never get into the kingdom because they think they're good. They think they have what it takes. They're depending on what they've done. Oh, I'm a good person, right? No. None of us are good. And even the things that I do good apart from God, there's often a selfish motive. I did it to make myself feel good. Or I gave this so that people would say, oh, that's a, that guy's a nice guy. She's leaning on her beloved in humility. This leaning involves the reaching of our heart to Jesus. Without self-sufficiency, there's no trust that's placed in her own heart. She won't even lean on past victories. She has a deep revelation of her own inadequacy and her own sinfulness apart from God. She does not trust her own discipline. 
Watchman Nee says this about this verse. She is completely humble, completely conscious of her own nothingness, completely aware of the fruitlessness of her own efforts, her undependable aspirations. All of her hope is focused on Jesus. If she was responsible of keeping Christ to the end, she could never do it, even by her own persistence. But she knows it's the Lord's own keeping and sustaining power. It's the Lord that's keeping me. Leadership can be summed up as abiding in Christ. Success can be summed up as abiding in Christ. Christian, listen, this is all about leaning into our beloved. Let's go to verse 5. Under the apple tree, I awakened you. And there your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. And so when we feel the pressure of, man, I've got to abide in Christ. And how do you do that? Okay, I better be be at church when Chris does that three-week series on learning how to abide, because if I miss that, I'm toast. Now, probably, you probably didn't think that. Don't depend on that teaching. <laughs> You're toast already, if that's your thought. As we feel the weight and the burden of that call to lean on our beloved with all of our life in the wilderness... He says, under the apple tree, I awakened you. Let's go back to Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 3. Right when we feel the pressure to perform, the beauty of Jesus, the one we are following, reminds us it's all about love. It's all about love. And so in verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young, wit, young men. With great delight, I sat under his shadow, under his, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles, or the gazelles, the gazelles, or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love till it pleases. And so Jesus is calling her to remember your first love. You see that back in 8.5? Under the apple tree I awakened you. Dave Johnson remembers very clearly it was at his house in Wellington in the weekend. God awakened me. And when I feel the pressure of life, when I'm like, man, I'm in a wilderness season, love, love, return to your first love, return to your first love. Revelation chapter two, verse four, Jesus is speaking to this church and he says this, I have this against you that you've abandoned your first love that you first have. Remember therefore where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first.
early on in my walk with the Lord. How I used to go on walks and we would talk and he would listen to my foolishness. I would express my heart. I would walk on the beach and sing songs. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Worshiping the Lord. How long has it been? For you, since you did the things that you did at first, to where it was just you and him alone. And the pressures and the trials of life and the things and what God is saying, he's like, remember, remember, remember this apple tree. That's where I awakened you. I awakened you there in verse five. And so some of us have just, our love's grown cold. And what Christ is saying today is, hey, come on back to how we first did things. Let's remember this great salvation. Jeremy, if you could throw up the picture of Jonathan Edwards. It's just a, a reminder of this salvation that we have. You contribute nothing to, like there's also, I just want to correct some false doctrine here. There's people that believe you can lose your salvation. No. Because if you believe you can lose it, then you're depending on your works for salvation, and that is not salvation. The only thing that you've added to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. Next one. Sometimes we're in the wilderness, right? Oh, the gate is narrow. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. Again, that is focusing on what I'm going to lose, what it's going to cost. What's he going to ask me to stop doing? What's he going to call me to walk away from? And you're focused on you. Forget about you long enough to remember the beauty of the cross is that he opened this way up for a wretch like you and me. And we forget about this great salvation. Am I standing in awe and am I amazed that he actually saved me? One that is deserving of wrath for sure. Because I knew about him and I rejected him my whole life. I don't want you in my life because I want to do what I want to do, Jesus. And March 4th, 1998, I'm in my room and he met me there. And it has never been the same since. Where are you, Christian? It's time to get back to this first love. Look at verse 6. She starts to remember how she was awakened under the tree and now her life becomes a prayer. Set me as a seal upon your heart. Set me as a seal upon your arm. Like the heart is the seat of love. The arm is where the strength lies. She wants to be so connected to him, so bound to him. And it's not her doing that. It's him doing that. She's not relying on her devotion, on her church attendance, on her performance, because she's convinced that's going to fail. She's relying on him to bring the salvation 
to its fullness. Oh God, if you don't seal me, I'm done. And this is her cry. This is her cry. Look at verse six. For love is as strong as death and jealousy is fierce as the grave. She's focused on the love of God that was stronger than the grave. It was stronger than the death that nothing could hold Christ down. He rose again on the third day. He is alive. He's seated at the right hand of God and God's love pushed him past the grave, pushed him past death, pushed him past everything in your life because his love is so strong. This prayer continues to go forth in 6C. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it says, Our God he is a consuming fire. And here's her cry. Seal me on your heart, on your arm. Your love, God, your jealousy, overwhelm me. Your fire, burn away what doesn't belong. You are so strong. Consume me, God. Consume me. Consume me, God. Fan the flame inside of me so that I burn for you. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised man she is just passionately in love with Jesus and this is her prayer this is her cry why because she's mature now she's completely in love I want PDA I wish I would have grown up with him my whole life. The wreckage that I've caused. Oh, man. She's understanding his embrace. His embrace is way more important than the enemy's little wrestling. She's convinced that she can't do life apart from him, so her whole life is leaning into Christ. And as she walks like that, through the wilderness, but coming up out, her song is a prayer. It's a prayer. Asking God to do in her what she cannot do in herself. Because she knows she can't love him like he deserves. She understands her frailty and her weakness. And she's asking for him to come be that fire. For him to come be that seal. For him to come and just move past and break through everything in her life. Because she knows his love is stronger than death. Are we a people that are moving into a place of maturity with Christ? And would chapter 8 that we've read so far describe our life? Worship team, come on up, please.
We're going to close in, in worship and song. We've been trained in a culture that is independent and self-sufficient. And Christianity is the opposite. We're going to have prayer partners up here in the front. And if you just want God to begin to awaken your love so that what you see in chapter 5 is what we begin to see in all of our lives and in this church, just come up for prayer. I can't love God without God. I'm not capable. And so the cry of our heart is God, do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. We humble ourselves now, Jesus, and we fix our gaze upon you. We thank you, Jesus, that you died for our sins. We thank you, Jesus, that you understand how weak and frail we are. You understand that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to our own way, but you were willing to step to the cross, embrace it in order to take our sins upon yourself because you love us. And I pray, God, that display of kindness would lead us to repentance. I pray, God, that your love would just begin to awaken your bride so that there is true revival, so there is passion again, God. Forgive us, Lord, for, for, for doing the things uh, uh, that have taken us away from you. We want to come back today, God, and we want you to seal us. We want you to, 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 to bind us to yourself. We want you to possess us. We want your fire, God, to consume us so that we would walk as a people completely in love, boasting in our weakness so that we can lean into our beloved, not because we're trying to do something but because we are in love with you Jesus so God if you do not do this today of which we cannot do nothing's going to happen in this place but Jesus we humble ourselves now and we ask that revival would break out today a revival that leads to the love of God to the love of Jesus Christ. Revive our hearts, God. We welcome you in this place. Help us to kiss towards you with a greater passion and desire than we've ever had before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.